Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Giant Splash. I'm John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, And I'm joined today by the manager of the ball club, Gabe Kapler. Even though baseball remains shut down, Gabe and so many in the organization remain busy. We address some of their activities, including how the coaches and players continue to prepare away from the ballpark. Plus a revealing Q&A the staff had with Will Clark. And how the coaches and players can benefit from the presence of one Barry Bonds. Thanks for coming on, Gabe. And the first question I would have is: is uh, how, how are you coping right now? How how are things? And are you all good right now? No, thanks for asking, John. And I'd like to hear about you and your family as well. My my family's doing well. I'm doing well. Um, both of my sons are, are thriving in their school environments. My older son Chase is at at UCLA, and he's getting back into his online courses. My son Dane. Uh, my 18-year-old is, is thinking about the fall already and playing football at the University of British Columbia. And the way I'm staying busy today is I, I drove out to uh, pick up my bass guitar. Had a few hours free this morning, so I drove to Indio from Scottsdale, picked up the bass guitar, put it in my trunk. Uh, a friend brought it to me, and I'm I'm headed back to Scottsdale now to settle back in for the rest of the workday. So things are going well and uh, certainly productive. How about you? Well, that sounds great. Are we, are we uh, acoustic or electric? Uh, it's an electric bass guitar. Nice. and um, We have a couple of people around the organization who play. We talked about doing some, some jam sessions together. One of them is Abe, our, our traveling secretary or our travel lead. He and I might get together and, and play some music together. And I remember back to being in Tampa Bay as a player and Longoria, myself, Fernando Perez, other players who played instruments, would get into jam sessions on a regular basis. Uh, we'd have a, a place set up where we could go play Rocco Baldelli was involved in that as well. Um, so I think it's a really good way to stay connected and play music together. So I want to make sure that I have my bass. Boy, that's beautiful. Sounds like a great Zoom opportunity these days. But uh... yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... I, I think you're using Zoom probably for other reasons. You asked about my family. Hey, I can relate. You have an 18-year-old, and I have a 17-year-old who's using Zoom every day in school, which is a great thing for these kids. It's a classroom setting, and it's a lecture. It's uh, class participation. It's as, you know, it's if you're there, and it's a really cool thing. I myself spent Easter on Zoom. Usually I get together with the family, but wasn't to happen this time. Anyway, what, what, could, I, could I ask what a typical day is for you, you know, from communicating with your staff and players and front office to even doing the personal things like, like eating or cooking or working out or, uh, you know, obviously you have to prepare for a season that may or may not come, but the communication factor, I, I imagine, is paramount. And what's your day like uh, in, in these times? No, it's a great, a great question, and, and you mentioned you mentioned Zoom. I think we're lucky that 
that we're sheltering in place in a time where we can use various types of technology to stay face to face. And I don't think, um, you know, obviously we're, we're leveraging that, that technology every single day. And you asked about my, my routine. It, it starts with these, these zoom calls. Uh, and it's not just me, but it's all of our coaches. I think it's a unique time where we could, we're going to look back and say we built lasting processes during this time that didn't just serve the Giants right now, but also three, five, ten years from now. And specifically, each department, hitting, catching, pitching, outfield, and infield, are connecting not just with our major league staff, but also with the minor league staff. And Kyle Haynes, our farm director, has done a tremendous job of, of facilitating these meetings as well as our major league coaches. We're building communication with our minor league coaches through these Zoom calls that we haven't had another time in history where we've been able to, to see these things play out because we just haven't had the time in the day. So what's happened, John, is the relationships are being built between our minor league hitting coaches and our major league hitting coaches. And Antoine Richardson, our outfield base running coach, is facilitating these Zoom calls so that our outfielders in the minor leagues and at the major league level. So if you can, if you can picture Hunter Bishop and Yastrzemski on these Zoom calls with all of our minor league coaches and major league outfielding, outfield and base running coaches all having conversations about first step quickness and about winning the first three steps, you can see that we're collaborating as an organization right now using these technologies that you, that you referenced. So that's the main part of, of my day and, and a part of my day that I'm most proud of is participating in and, and helping facilitating some of, facilitate some of these calls utilizing technology. Well, what a great opportunity and experience for these younger guys to actually be on the call with the big league coaches and the big league players. Very yeah. cool, very cool opportunity. And, and like I said, kind of unprecedented. I think as a farm director, uh, when I played that role, and then as a major league staff member, you always dream about connecting minor leagues and major leagues, uh, coaches and players alike, because minor league players get so much out of hearing major league players talk and seeing them face to face, but you never have the bandwidth to make it happen. And we really see this as a competitive window for us to kind of be better than, than other organizations at this. And, you know, I, I don't mean, Meaning, mean to say that other organizations aren't doing the same thing, but what I would say is is that we're we're staying connected and, and being very diligent and deliberate and intentional about getting together in big groups and building those relationships. So I, I'm sure you assign the outfield coach to the outfielders, the infield coach to the infielders. But how about the hitting coaches? You have three of them: Donnie Ecker and Justin Veal, Dustin Lind. Do do you, does one of them work with Buster Posey and Brandon Belt, somebody else, and another work with Crawford and Longoria and somebody else, or do they all still work with everybody? I think it's more all work with everybody, but uh, I do know that they're divvying up responsibilities and staying in tight communication about who's discussed what with who. Uh, the other thing that I think is is really cool is that the three hitting coaches that you mentioned. Donnie, Justin, and Dustin are also doing a great job of staying connected with our minor league hitting coordinator, Dave Hansen, uh, Michael Bedard at the minor league level. All of our minor league hitting coaches 
they're talking about the tools that they use to reach these players. Uh, they're talking about what drills are, are, are best and most optimal. And then they're getting, they're collectively getting those drills and those options to our players, like a, a, a menu of sorts. Speaking of coaches, I, I wrote a bunch of stories about a lot of them, and I'll just go my, my laundry list. One, one was on Andrew Bailey, the pitching coach. Another was on the three hitting coaches we mentioned, Donnie and Justin and Dustin. Another on uh, Kai Correa, who, who's uh, – and, in fact, I was working on a second one with him, The Art of the Fungo, which, which – uh, you know, the, the way he uses metrics in, in hitting ground balls to the right side, just some fabulous stuff. Uh, before we left spring training. Another on Ron Wotus before he was going to meet up with Bochy in the World Baseball Classic, which didn't happen. And another on Antoine, the uh, first base coach and outfield coach. And maybe th- my favorite was the story on uh, Alyssa Nacken, who who fit in like it was a non-story almost. Um, of course, it's historic and magnificent and wonderful that a woman is coaching in the big leagues. But as Brandon Crawford told me, it should be almost like normal. Why is why is she the only one? So, but anyway, with, with that, I, w- one thing I noticed while talking to most of them, or all of them, all the ones I spoke with, are uh, even though they're coaching in the bigs for the first time, none seemed entitled and none seemed um, big-headed. All seemed willing to pitch in and do their part, big and small, uh, and without egos, really. So, I mean, am I close on that one? No, I think that's right. I, I think we've We've designed our staff to be collaborative. Uh, we've designed it to weave in and out of lanes. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting is how inclusive Antoine is, uh, not just with Alyssa, who is kind of on his team in the outfield base running department, uh, but with everybody in the entire organization. So, you know, we have our mental skills coach. We have our strength and conditioning coach. We have minor league uh, analysts all on the same call with those outfielders and base runners discussing outfield play. So I think one of the things that makes our, our staff unique is that we don't exclude. We, we try to be as inclusive as possible, and we try to do the little things that make people feel like they're a part of a team and have a future with the organization. Um, and that's a, that's a very intentional step we've taken. Uh, it's, not, it's not random. It was certainly a part of the hiring process as we, we thought about who might make the, make the best major league coaches for us. We wanted people who were going to invite other coaches and players into their space. And I think that's one of the things that I've been most proud of with our major league staff. Well, what, what's one thing you didn't know about one of these coaches that kind of blew you away in spring training? Um. Well, I, I certainly pride myself on, on learning as much as I can about a coach before we, we offer him a position on our staff. I, I guess one thing I didn't realize was how impactful Nick Ortiz was going to turn out to be. Um, he had a stellar reputation with the Yankees organization. I spoke to, to several Puerto Rican coaches that I have respect for and that have had success in the game for a really long time. And they all thought that Nick would make a great major league coach. One of the things I think is interesting about Nick, he's, he's 46 years old, and he really has provided a great deal of wisdom and balance to a very, very young, assertive coaching staff. 
he kind of brings that experience of, you know, really 20-plus years of professional baseball experience and the component of being a native Spanish speaker. So he's been able to connect with, with guys like Wilmer Flores and Pablo Sandoval, um, some of our young uh, 40-man pitchers, and really bring them into this time of, of uncertainty and, and hear their thoughts. So uh, it's not that I didn't know that Nick was very talented. Maybe I just didn't recognize what an incredible holistic impact he'd have on our major league coaching staff and on our players simply by the experience that he's brought to our staff. We'll be back with more of Gabe Kapler right after this quick break. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, with 13 coaches, and it's probably not much room in the coach's office as is, but... You know, historically, the Giants have brought in players throughout spring training, like alumni or advisors or ambassadors, just to hang out, uh, provide guidance uh, if anybody has any questions. I mean, Barry Bonds was there for a little spell. Willie Mays, of course. I think Will Clark was flying in the day spring training uh, ended and flew back to Louisiana. Um, but do, do you... You know, Bond specifically, do you do you see a role for him? Did you talk to him much at all? Um, and, and, you know, you have three hitting coaches, and, you know, there's probably not a better person on the planet who, who knows more about hitting than Bonds. Um, he's back with the team, but how could he benefit you at all, uh, or the coaches, or the players, with his presence? Uh, he, could, he could benefit all of us. Like, we, we all have a ton to learn from Barry Bonds, and I think from his ability to uh, talk about how to compete in the batter's box, in the batting cage, and make an impact on our uh, our coaches and on our players, to his ability to tell me and, and give me insight about the fans in San Francisco having such a long history of connecting with them, uh, to his ability to just talk generally about outfield and base running. One of the things he was very impactful in during camp was was working with our base runners specifically reading moves from our pitcher from from pitchers from second base knowing when the right time to steal is um utilizing confidence on the bases things of that nature there's so many ways that barry can make an impact and you had mentioned will clark one of the things i wanted to share with you john is mm-hmm. he recently did a q a with us uh, on friday our, our entire coaching staff and an extension of our coaching staff in our strength and conditioning department, our medical department, our nutrition department, and he just killed it. <laughs> our coaches were able to ask, ask him questions about anything under the sun, including slides at second base. You know his infamous kind of slide tackle that started a brawl at second base, including Ozzie Smith, mm-hmm. uh, but also you know his, his tremendous ability to recall – his mindset from his best seasons like 1989 and share that insight. But I think the thing that stood out most about Will is how he, 
he managed the room. He called everybody by their first names. Uh, before we got on the call, on the Zoom call, he had done research on everybody on our staff, um, and he just warmed the room up in an incredible way. So I think it was an excellent, uh, it was an excellent learn, not just on Will Clark's baseball acumen, but also on his communication style. So you talk about somebody that I bet on to make an impact on this coaching staff and into the future for the San Francisco Giants, probably Will Clark. Hmm. Pretty amazing stuff that two of the best hitters in Giants history, Bonds and Clark, were discussing base running. It kind of shows their completeness as ballplayers. Um, no question. Good call. Did, I mean, are you into nostalgia baseball history? Uh, you know, you and I have spoken before about, um, you know, you grew up, you loved Pete Rose, you loved Fred McGriff, you loved a lot of the Blue Jays. That was your t-ball team as a kid. You loved the uniform. But now you're in this Giants-Dodgers uh, rivalry. You saw it from the other side to an extent, not in big league uniform, but overseeing the, uh, the minor league system, et cetera. Um, you know, I'm sure as a kid you followed many baseball players, probably not many managers. I mean, <laughs> what, uh, what kid does? But now you are one. And I thought I'd ask you just to uh, ask if, if, yeah. if nostalgia is a big part of, of who you are. Huge, because I think the way I fell in love with baseball uh, and the way I fell in love with, with baseball stats was through studying the history of the game. Some of my earliest book reports as a kid were on players like Pete Rose and, and Ty Cobb before him. I was fascinated by Ty Cobb's style of play and how aggressive he was. And then as I got into my, like, kind of maybe like the mid-'80s is when I really fell in love with, the, with baseball card collecting and guys like Will Clark, and Will Clark's a perfect example, as I, as I got into my own professional baseball career, stayed in close contact with the work that Will Clark was doing. Just the fact that the last four years of his major league career, he hit over 300, mm -hmm. and, and understanding that nobody retires anymore at that sort of peak. Had, had he played three or four more years at, at that level of play, I mean, who knows how we'd be talking about Will Clark as an industry. But it wasn't just Will. Um, it was definitely those, those 1980s, late 80s Giants teams that I followed very carefully. And, you know, to your point about nostalgia, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, baseball, I'm a baseball nut dating back to my time as an elementary school kid. You know what? Uh, you speak of Will Clark. It reminds me of one of the last interviews I did on Mauricio Dubon. And he spoke, he reminded me of a young Will. I mean, Mauricio's closer to mid-20s. Will came up early 20s. And Dubon spent a lot more time in the minors. Will was just a, the natural, right? And he came up saying things like, I want to change the culture of this team. I don't give a darn about the candlestick wind. I want to produce a winner. I want to be the guy you lean on. And in the middle of this interview I had with Dubon, I told him, I said, you know who Will Clark is? Because you're sounding an awful uh, a lot like him. And he hadn't met him. He hadn't spoken with him at length at all, but was looking forward to it. And it, it, it amazed me, talking to Dubon, how confident he is. And he, he says, cocky but humble was his quote. I'm cocky but humble, which, which says a lot for a kid who doesn't have that much service time, but he's gifted enough and athletic enough and he believes in himself enough that he that he wants to be the guy in the future that this team and yourself and his teammates lean on. 
it's pretty impressive for yeah. a, for a guy like that. Absolutely, and so I think that's a pretty lofty comparison, obviously. But yeah. I know you're not you're not comparing uh, Dubon's swing to Will's swing no. or them as defenders or anything like that. What you're saying is you you hear a confidence and an investment coming from Dubon, similar to the one that you you heard from Will Clark as a young player. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I think the the be able the the file to be able to recall how Will was and how he behaved at the beginning of his career is really interesting. But I'll give you a story on Dubon that I, that I think is really cool. He recently, and speaking of sliding, he recently sent me a video of a slide, and he asked me if I thought it was a legal slide. So we went back and forth on text and talked it through. But what I found fascinating was he's thinking about the tiny details of the game and, like, how far off the bag can he be and still have it be a legal slide because he knows what it's like to be a middle infielder and have to turn that double play. Um, and it is that cockiness. It is that, that confidence. And it is that attention to detail that makes special major league players and that investment in the Giants and, and Giants culture. He doesn't want to be just good at one thing. Whenever I've asked Dubon about uh, playing multiple positions, it's just been a resounding yes. Any way he can help the team win, any way he can get on the field, he never wants to come out of the lineup. And I have a tremendous level of respect for players with, with that level of confidence plus that level level of selfishness. So I think his assessment of cockiness um, but maintaining a level of humility fits him very well. Just looking back the last day of spring training, if you recall, uh, I, I was out there in surprise. It was... It was Giants-Rangers, Dickerson opens with a triple, you score a bunch of runs in the first inning, and it's called after five because of wet ground, so it's a tie, and we, we huddled with you afterward, and we didn't know it was going to be the end, but you said, you know, you were preparing for the Dodgers, and you said the Dodgers were preparing for the Giants, and and that you have to be ready for any outcome, and, and that's the way baseball people are, that's their DNA, you know, in the moment, willing to take whatever road is necessary, a game of adjustments, right? I mean, um, the the ultimate adjustment just, just happened hours later. I mean, we didn't know that that was going to be the last day, but that was the night Rudy Gobert, the Mavericks, tested positives, and the, the sports world changed forever. But could do, do you ever reflect on, on your last day in camp and wonder how strange that really was? Because you named an opening day starter, and we wrote it down and made a headline out of it before later that night with, with, with Gobert. But it was, it, you know, it wasn't business as usual because you know, we were still distanced. We, you know, we, we were not, um, you know, allowed in the clubhouse. We, you know, we, were, we knew about washing hands and social distancing and everything. But, but you played baseball that day. Yeah, no, we, we played baseball in front of, to your point, thousands of fans. Mm-hmm. And I think what it really was was kind of a sign of the times. Um, and I certainly do reflect on it and wonder, you know, what would have happened if, you know, we kept playing from that point and you know, how many players would have been, uh, would have, have had the virus. And, you know, the one thing I'll say is I'm really appreciative that Major League Baseball acted when it did and very appreciative that the San Francisco Giants took such swift action to, to shut down our facilities while that was still very much a question was 
should we still be working out our at our facilities? And um, I thought we took we took swift action. I was proud of that. And so looking back on that time, um, I don't think we had any idea what was coming. Uh, but certainly in the days that followed, I think we we took really important action steps that our organization can be proud of. Yeah, and just a reminder that that was the Wednesday and. You had the scheduled off day Thursday anyway. Everybody else in the Valley, uh, you know, showed up and worked out, and they actually played games in Florida the next morning. But but you're almost fortunate not to have a, a scheduled camp day. It was it was the it was the first uh, off day. You were going to have two. At the time, those were major decisions, right? Just like right now, um, our country and the world, every day seems like a major decision is being made. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that when I look back to that time and, and the days that followed that last game that you highlight, highlighted, uh, those were decision-making times and opportunities for us to take good leadership steps and really proud of the way that the Giants handled it in Major League Baseball as well once, uh, once we shut things down. Well, thanks so much, Gabe. This is all wonderful to catch up with you, and it sounds like you're as busy as ever with the staff and your family and now the bass guitar so congratulations with all yeah, that and nah. best of luck with everything and safety to you no i appreciate it i think every every window and every conversation is is an opportunity to to compete and, and to your point we're going to try to to compete in every in every moment that we have until we get back together and, and, and get back to work great well thanks again thanks john Thank you for listening to this episode of The Giant Splash. We'll have many more podcasts in the weeks ahead. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support the Splash and all of the Chronicle's great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.